Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We put the kickstop to some strange Kickstarter campaigns and, and find out about some miraculous fish. So the latest Bad Science Kickstarter campaign claims to enable you to breathe underwater like Aquaman or a mermaid. Well, we, we put to rest some of the misconceptions around that particular scientific claims. Plus, we find out about a very unusual fish from deep in the caves in Thailand. Now, if you've spent any time in or around the ocean, you'll know that the most frustrating part about all of it is actually having to come up for air. And even if you are scuba certified and a certified diver, it still requires a lot of big and bulky equipment, which makes the dream of swimming underwater like a mermaid very difficult. Now, Science fiction has long presented to us great ideas about how we could have really small, compact, rebreathing technologies, such as what is seen in Phantom Menace, Episode 1 of Star Wars, as well as Thunderball, James Bond film from the 1970s. But so far, that has remained science fiction rather than science fact. However, the internet is ablaze with an Indiegogo campaign from a designer from South Korea, together with some Swedish entrepreneurs, who claim to have cracked this most mysterious technologies and made basically artificial gills. And they've raised, at the time of recording, about 800,000 US dollars so far, which is probably around 1,600% of their original goal. And why am I talking about this? Well, here at Lagrange Point, we've spent many episodes and many times recounting and trying to correct some erroneous science in our segments that we like to call Kickstopper. Now, the Triton technology was first basically pitched by a South Korean designer by the name of Jaebyun Yeon, who in 2013 November at the Samsung Art and Design Institute graduation exhibition basically unveiled his design of a conceptual scuba mask. And that's pretty much all it was. Uh, he, he came up with a, a concept and a design, and it was quite popular uh, and well-received, and it received wide publications on a few websites that were showcasing nifty design. But at the time, most people basically dismissed it as a, you know, a, a, cool, a cool concept and uh, a cool idea, but nothing that would be really feasible or workable in real life. Flash forward two and a bit years from... Tw- late 2013 to now in 2016. And Jabion Yon has teamed up with two marketing and entrepreneur businessmen from Sweden by the names of Said Kadimi and John Kadimi. And together, they've put together a, a small company to help raise money and build a prototype. And look, all well and good, and that's a great business endeavor for them. However, the problem with a lot of these crowdfunded campaigns is that a lot of them rely on ambiguous science that's not really explained. In the past, we've covered everything from shielding magical underwear that protects you from the dangers of mobile phone radiation uh, to phone devices that claim to be able to scan and perform mass spectrometry on your food without using anything additional, uh, normal phones, software and camera. And both of those claims are ludicrous. And we've sort of deconstructed why that's the case. And there has been an awful lot of skepticism about this Triton device as well. Uh, Because, simply put, to enable you to do something that turns all of the big heavy tanks and scuba equipment into a portable uh, 30cm long mouthpiece requires, well, to put it bluntly, a lot of fantastic engineering that is not really clear if they've actually managed to accomplish. 
especially since there's no actual engineers on that group. But don't take my word for it. Um, so Dr. Neil Pollock is a research associate at the Center for Hyperbaric Medicine and Environmental Physiology at Duke University Medical Center. And he is also the research director for the Divers Alert Network. So basically, this is a guy with a lot of experience in both physiology and diving and diving equipment. Now, there are three concepts and three big problems that any device that claims to assist in underwater breathing has to solve. The first one is that you need to extract oxygen. And effectively, you need around effectively 500 mils of air per breath. Now, humans, just, just for never for a bit of information, the average person breathes around 15 times a minute at rest, let alone if you're swimming underwater and doing a lot of exercise. And each breath contains about, we need probably around 15 breaths per minute at resting rate, and each breath takes about 0.0335 grams of oxygen. Now, this device is claiming to recapture the oxygen from that in the water, so dissolved oxygen in water. And assuming it's kind of like what the dissolved oxygen rate is in Earth's water... Um, let's just assume some theoretical values here, but it's about six litres of water per breath is required. And that's about 90 litres of water per minute needs to rush through or past this to give you enough oxygen to extract. And that's a fair amount of oxygen, especially if you're stationary. So in order to get the oxygen out, first you need to have enough oxygen to actually provide you with air Um, so first that's the first problem the second problem even if you've managed to get out that oxygen have it rush over the the gills themselves have a chemical process that strips out all the oxygen fine you then need somewhere to store it so you need to basically if you're going to strip out and store and compress air to be available to breathe you need to basically suck it out and then pump it and compress it into something now the problem there's two problems with that first you need a tank to put it in and the challenge with that is that if you want to really micronize and really shrink down the size of a tank, that's possible, but you need a really high pressure. And to get a really high pressure, you need a really big or powerful pump. And you can make a small and powerful pump, but that requires a lot of energy. And that energy needs to be stored somewhere on a crazy battery. And so far as it's been seen, the battery system that they're proposing for it is just a small lithium-ion battery, which probably wouldn't be able to produce enough power. Unless, of course, they've invented some magical and amazing pump and battery technology. But even if you've got all that, you need and have an amazing pump. You need a tank that can hold it. Now, I'm sure you've seen a variety of gas cylinders scattered around, either in a picture of a scuba device or if you've used one, or maybe a gas cylinder for storing other types of gases in industrial sites or for welding and so on. They have very, very thick walls. And the reason why they do is because they need to st- the contents inside are at such a high pressure that if the walls were thin, they'd explode out, uh, explosive decompression, and that would be bad. Uh, so the higher pressure you go to, the, the stronger your container, your, your storage tank needs to be. And it also needs to be able to cope with the pressure from outside coming in as well, which as you go deeper down in water also increases. So there's two problems there. You need a pretty big or powerful pump, and a pretty big and powerful and strong tank. That's why scuba tanks are so large. And it's very difficult to see how this small 30 centimeter long mouthpiece could effectively have both of those inside it somehow. And and the third and final part here is how you actually deliver that. Now, 
I don't want to get too detailed into the scuba technology, but there's a lot of careful measuring and metering out of air when you're breathing underwater. It's not as simple as just providing you with all the oxygen you need, because actually, the air you breathe is not just 100% oxygen. In fact, if you breathe 100% oxygen, that causes a lot of problems. And so when you actually look at scuba equipment uh, for prolonged dives, especially ones below about 30 meters, 40 meters, they actually mix nitrogen in with oxygen and other gases as well as helium. Uh, basically, because anytime you go deeper than about mm, nine meters, five to 10 meters, o- pure oxygen becomes toxic which is a huge problem. So if this device is just, you know, stripping out oxygen, then you really have to be careful about how you use it, even if it worked, because just oxygen alone is actually quite dangerous. And also with other gases that we use, we have to be careful of bubbles forming in our blood and the, the changing of pressures as well. Uh, and so actually the, the metering out and the measurement and the mixture of the air that we breathe, particularly when underwater and under pressure, is a very complicated science and something you can't just ignore um, because there are good reasons why we don't and that's to keep people alive. So what do the almost 2,000 people who've given this small company nearly $800,000 worth of money, there's a lot of interesting precedent for things like this. There's plenty of other campaigns or Kickstarters or Indiegogo in this instance um, that basically pitch a product with little to back up whether or not it could actually be delivered. And there is little uh, recourse for the consumers or backers. Even if the product fails or does not deliver as intended, effectively, as long as the the group delivers the product, then they're legally fine. And even if they don't deliver the product, the, the recourse for the actual backer is actually quite limited as well. So there's little chance they'll actually get their money back. And if we're talking about chipping in five to $10, this wouldn't be that much, but people are contributing hundreds of dollars here at a time. So it's actually quite dangerous. And this is not just some splash in the splash in the pan of the internet issue. Around each year, um, in uh, 2015 in, on its own, $16 billion was raised via online crowdfunding campaigns like this. Now, not all of those have been um, fraudulent or potentially problematic for the consumer. A lot of them have delivered good stuff supported many great Kickstarters or Indiegogo campaigns, but a fair percentage as well are not that above the board, or some of them don't even deliver an intended end product. So what does this mean? Well, before you sign up and sign away your money for any of the latest fad or entertaining and amazingly slick marketing video, make sure that you think a little bit critically what a product's claims are, and if they actually have the ability or a proven track record, or the ability to potentially even be based on factual sign. If something looks too good to be true, the chances are that it's not. And if something claims a mysterious, amazing scientific solution to a problem that others have tried for years to solve but haven't, try and check their credentials and see if there's any evidence to back this up. As part of the scientific method is, as much as we want it to be true, it doesn't mean that it's true. We actually need to see evidence-based research to back things up. Away from our Kickstarter deconstruction there and into something that sounds unreal and sounds crazy, but 
actually, we've got evidence of something really unusual happening. The New Jersey Institute of Technology has just released a, a new paper in Nature Scientific Reports, as well as some video evidence to, to back it up, that shows uh, a certain species of blind walking cavefish in Thailand have these certain little anatomical features that enable them to walk and climb up waterfalls. This is amazing. The small little blind fish from the deep caves of Thailand actually can climb up a waterfall. And that is without using HM07 waterfall for all you Pokemon fans out there. So what's actually going on here? And what have these researchers discovered? So the research group that included Brooke Fleming, Daphne Sires, Julia Markowitz, and Ifun Sunivaskara, who are academics at the New Jersey Institute of Technology Department of Biological Scientists, have been studying these, these tiny little cavefish, which are about 7 to 8 centimetres long. So they're not very long and they're not very wide. And like most animals that live in dark environments, they're, they're blind because there's no light, so they don't need eyes that work that way. But to actually navigate the small cave water systems around them, they have developed some small fin-like appendages. And these fin-like appendages are used not in a manner of swimming like most other fish use them, but they're actually more similar to the way that tetrapods or four-footed mammals and amphibians actually use their, their limbs. And that is effectively used to, to pull themselves along. They even have a pelvic like a girdle that, that is similar to lots of other types of mammals. And so what we normally only ascribe to um, to amphibians and mammals and other tetrapods, these fish are actually exhibiting the same properties. And it makes you think a little bit more about the body plan and the structures and things we typically ascribe to fish and how that could actually be different from how we expect. And not only is this amazing because this small fish can walk up waterfalls, but it also is, gives us an interesting insight into the transition from finned fish to limbed appendages that occurred in the Devonian period about 420 million years ago when we saw the first amphibians and then all mammals and other land animals, tetrapods, exist, which would pave the way for us further down the track through evolution. So that, that, that fish-to-land creature transition point, this small cavefish is another example of. And it gives us a great insight into some of the weird and quirky behaviour of some of the strange animals that live in the most darkest and inhospitable places on our planet. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We put the kickstop to a pseudoscientific rebreather claim, and we found out about a mysterious waterfall climbing fish from deep in the caves in Thailand. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.